So Money episode 986, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Jamila Soufrand, host of the podcast Journey to Launch, a replay. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. September 28th, 2018. It is Ask Farnoosh Friday. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have some fun plans this weekend. I have nothing on the calendar this weekend. This never happens, especially in a fall calendar month. My kids have so many things going on. We're traveling. I can't tell you how excited I am to do absolutely nothing of importance this weekend, nothing that requires me arriving anywhere on time or getting in my car with two car seats. You know the drill. My guest co-host knows the drill, and we're going to talk to her momentarily, but just wanted to... um, give you some updates about like the goings on of the So Money podcast. Not too long ago this month, I met up for the first time with a big financial honcho in person. You know who she is, Susie Orman. So two weeks ago, I was in uh, New York City and uh, she and I met up with our friend Adam, uh, who is the editor-in-chief of Money Magazine, Adam Ariema, and he invited us to the Money Studios to talk about women and money. And they were very generous, gave me the audio from that interview. So we will air that on So Money very soon. So stay tuned. Make sure if you're not subscribing that you do subscribe so you don't miss that episode. This is pretty epic. I don't really call a lot of things epic. I don't throw that word around often, but Susie's a big deal. And, you know, I, in many ways, I'm grateful to her for have paved the way for me and so many other quote unquote financial experts to be leaders in this space as financial thought leaders and advice givers. And she is the queen bee. And, uh, I'm not going to tease it too much, just to say that you have to listen and stay tuned for that to come up uh, on your airwaves, on your podcast player soon. This week, I want to give a shout out to all of my friends at FinCon. I believe they're in their seventh year. Don't quote me on that. I think it's the seventh year in Orlando. So my friend Phil Taylor, who's the founder of FinCon, I hope you're Hope you're killing it again this year. No doubt it's going to be a successful record-breaking year for those of you who aren't familiar with FinCon. It is like uh, what are you? It's like uh, Comic Con, but with financial nerds. It's all of your favorite bloggers, experts from the financial space, from the credit space, from the entrepreneur space. Like it's a growing community. And what's really exciting is that, you know, as someone who's been a part of FinCon from the very beginning, to see it grow and not include not just people who are entrenched in the world of financial blogging and vloggers and podcasters, but also like real mainstream media from Money Magazine to Forbes to Inc. They come because they realize like this community is powerful and it would behoove them to engage and, you know, uh, get to know us because uh, we obviously were very passionate. And it's just cool, though, to see that these sort of two worlds, the new media and the traditional media combining at FinCon, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty powerful stuff. So anyway, just want to say good luck to everybody. I 
miss you guys. I wasn't able to attend this year, but next year, fingers crossed. All right. So a lot of questions to tackle today. We have questions about credit scores and job interviews and how do credit scores maybe impact your potential for a job. We have a question about how to prepare for motherhood if you're a professional woman who is gung-ho about her career but also wants family life, as a lot of us do. I wanted that in my 20s. How to kind of reverse engineer it now to so that you can arrive in your later life, later stage life, with some choices. Unfortunately, too many women are feeling the need to opt out without it really being feeling like it's their choice because of the economics of parenthood and so many other so many other challenges, right? So we're going to dive deep into this. And I couldn't think of a better person to tackle these questions with me. You have probably heard of her work. She's a friend of So Money, Jamila Soufrant, who is the founder of Journey to Launch. She was on So Money not too long ago, about a month ago, and now has a very big update. So firstly, Jamila, welcome back to So Money. It's great to reconnect with you. Hi, Farnoosh. Thanks so much for having me back. So tell us... What is new in your life? Uh, just to give some listeners background, you're the founder of Journey to Launch, a basically this incredible platform for financial independence. You yourself are a financial badass, having invested in real estate at a very young age in your 20s. You're now a mom of three, and you started Journey to Launch, which is also a podcast and a really robust online destination while working full time which I think is going to tee us up for your announcement. Yes. So yeah, I quit my full-time job. Woohoo! All right. Tell me everything. I know you're probably, <laughs> I don't know, were you nervous going in? I'm, I would be, even though like you're confident you're doing it. <laughs> They're not going to change. Oh my gosh. Like, I mean, I, I was nervous and I just want to say that like these big decisions, like all these big decisions people make in this lifetime and like what I'm making now, it's, totally is terrifying. It's scary. You know, I don't know the outcome, but here's what I know. I know that I want to follow my passions. I know that I plan for this leap. And so my husband and I, we saved up some money to be able to sustain us through this time of me, me taking on full-time entrepreneurship. And I'm really, really excited about the possibilities. And so, yeah, it's just, it's been a great, great ride so far. And I'm really just looking forward to what all I can accomplish now that I have so much more time to focus on this. You've built so much incredible momentum in such a short period of time. I have no doubts that you're going to really up-level this. And now that you have a little bit more time and focus to dedicate to Journey to Launch. It's going to just, I mean, look at how far you've come while you had a full-time job, while you were pregnant, and also then gave birth, had that, you know, uh, I, I, I'm in awe of you. Um, what do you think is going to be the biggest advantage to, I mean, um, besides like obviously maybe having a little bit more time and not having to be at work at 9 a.m. or whatever you had to do for work. All those responsibilities are out of the picture. But what are you looking most forward to now that you're not full-time employed? I think the ability to focus and not have to split my mental ability. And so when I was working, you know, I, my job was high powered. It was a lot of responsibility. So I had to do a lot. And so while focusing on making sure I was doing my job correctly, I was still also then focusing on journey to launch. And so my mind and my attention was like split in so many places. So I'm excited now that I get to focus really just on journey to launch in terms of like the business side of things and the work side of things. 
And then like that allows me now to really kind of amp up my efforts in what I want to do. Congratulations. Really, really excited for you. And, um, you know, I, I look to you as not just a, a spectacular colleague, but a friend. You're awesome. And I'm really rooting for you. So um, everyone here is rooting for you. And so please keep us posted and let us know how we can support you every step of the way. Oh, that means so much. Thank you. Yes. All right. So are you ready to help some of our listeners? Yeah, let's go. Okay, so Steve has a question about whether to make an additional principal payment on a mortgage each month or invest the extra money in an index fund, which he says maybe, you know, that's he's leaning towards that, it sounds like, because he's like, look, I can put the money in the index fund, it'll grow, and then I can have money to pay off the mortgage. I like the latter idea. I mean, I'm assuming his mortgage is not a super high interest rate. I know interest rates are inching higher these days, but this sounds like a mortgage that he has had that maybe if it's like within the four, three to 4% range, I mean, historically speaking, the stock market does do better year over year on average um, over a long period of time. So from a mathematical standpoint, from a uh, return on your investment standpoint, I think that the smart money invests in the index fund. But I think that for all people, Jamila, and you can, I would love to hear your thoughts that come to me with this question of should I pay off my mortgage sooner than later? Part of them, I think it's not about the math, really. It's like, I want to be out of debt. It's psychologically tolling. And I think that there that is something to reckon with. I think that that is not an insignificant factor. And if so, Steve, if you're like really stressed out about your mortgage, then and you want to bring it down a bit, I think that that's a worthy move as well. But what do you think, Jamila? You think he should maybe invest instead? Yeah. So this is like all, like you said, it's personal. It's like driven from what you, what motivates you. And so like considering that you don't have any other debt and you're, you're fine on that end, the mortgage is such a personal decision because I actually had to face this decision myself when it was, okay, do I throw extra money at the mortgage or then do I just invest that money? And what I came to do or what I thought was the best way to look at it was once you pay the mortgage off or you're paying it down, like you don't have that money anymore. Like equity, you're, you're building up equity in your home, but it's harder to access that unless you sell it or you can take out a home equity line. But you may change your mind down the line on what you want to use the money for. You may just have different circumstances where you might need to access that money. And so to have the flexibility to, to, to have cash saved up. So let's just say you now you invest that money instead of paying down the mortgage and now you're building up that cash and maybe in five or 10 years, you now have the ability to either pay that mortgage off or do something else with it that's equally important that you can't even fathom right now, right? Now you have that option to do it. And so I come from it from a point of what gives me the most options and what gives you the most options is that if you have that cash, you can make that decision on what you want to do when the time comes. Flexibility is a really important factor. Thanks for bringing that up. And I do think then that the index fund, I agree, might be the best route just because you can always, you can always then change your mind. If you feel like you've done what you need to do with the investing because maybe you're feeling a little bit behind with investing and then you feel like you played some catch up and now you want to pay more attention to your retire sorry to the mortgage um, that money is more liquid uh, in the investment account than say you know tied up in your mortgage so good luck to you thank you for that smart question Steve okay Rebecca 
Jamila has a question. She is 63 years old and she says, I have no savings, no retirement. All right. $20,000 in debt. She does work full time and she makes $45,000 a year and she's keeping her expenses as low as possible to get out of debt. Her question is that she's been told to pay off all of her debt before creating a substantial savings account and also before investing any money. So what do we think? I mean, at this point, I'm like, throw all that traditional advice out the window. I think that if you're 63 and you have no oxygen mask, i.e. savings or retirement savings, like you need to start trying to do a little bit of both here. And I would say that in this case, savings take trumps the $20,000 in debt. That may sound a little uh, you know, counterintuitive, but even to those of us who are in our 30s, 40s, younger, that are juggling debt with the goals to save and invest, I'm like, try to create a hybrid approach. It should never be like either or. Um, saving and getting out of debt are not mutually exclusive things. I feel like you can sometimes create a, 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 a way of financial life that addresses both. Maybe one is more um, more substantially focused on and the other is taking a back burner, but you're still doing something. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I don't think you have to just focus on one, especially at that age where you're older and maybe, you know, as you, you continue to get older, your mobility changes or your opportunities to work change. So you want to make sure that you have some sort of savings in place to help protect you from having to go further into debt should something happen to you or some expense comes up. But I totally agree that while, you know, I, I mean, 63 is not as old as it was maybe back years ago, right? People are living longer and longer than ever. And so it's not too late. It's never too late. So I definitely think that you should focus on building up some sort of savings account just to protect you from any emergencies that occur. And then focus on and start to invest, focus on retirement investing, putting some money away, because in 10, 15 years, you'll need that money. And then in the same respect, also work on paying off your debt. So I know that probably may sound like overwhelming, like how do you do it all? But just split, split your extra income or the income that you're now receiving, you know, outside of your bills into these goals. Yes. And there's just a couple more thoughts to layer on top of that. I would say because she's 63, the opportunity now is that she can play catch up in things like her 401k or an IRA. So once you hit the age of 50, you can contribute more, in fact, to a 401k and more to an IRA than everybody else. So look into that. And if you can come up with the money, I would say there's an opportunity for you to invest more in these tax-friendly retirement accounts because of your age. And also go to the Social Security website and see what your payout would be if you were to start tapping it in, let's say, a couple of years versus by age 70, which is the latest you can start to draw down on your Social Security. And I mean, the general advice is to wait as long as possible because that just means that you'll have more of an accumulation and assuming she's going to continue to work. So if you can stretch out those payments, uh, I would say do that too, because then that'll be more money for your future as well. Uh, So Rebecca, you know, the the short answer is we'd hope that you would try to tackle paying down the debt and saving slash investing right now that you kind of throw out any other of that sort of like either or advice that you've been given. And I would say prioritize the saving 
because uh, you're going to hopefully live a long life and we want you to be able to have as much at the ready for you. And I mean, maybe it's too late. I'm not sure. But people in their 60s also look into things like long-term health care insurance. As Jamila pointed out, we don't know what the future holds as far as our health. And many people are trying to hedge that by investing in something like a long-term care insurance plan where they can put money away for the future in case they cannot take care of themselves and they need to pay for a nurse or some sort of facility to move in and, and be taken care of. That's expensive. And a lot of times that causes people to go bankrupt or feel like they just don't have any options. So if, uh, if that's something you can also afford or maybe just look into that, I think I would also suggest that too. All right. Lori has a question here. Lori is a recent uh, listener of the show. She has been uh, a fan of also the Money Diaries on Refinery29. And you know, we had on Lindsay Stanberry, who's the author of the new book, Money Diaries, as well as the uh, director of money, work and money at Refinery29. She spearheaded the Money Diaries series. And Lori says, in your conversation with Lindsay on So Money, you briefly touched on how much you wish you'd known or done before starting a family. I was so inspired by that that I'd like to know more. Are there more details you can add or specific things you can say we should be doing now? I'm 28, single, and I don't see myself having children until I'm in my mid-30s. What would you be doing if you were me? Okay, so this is like the the Mac daddy of questions right now. And I was telling you, Jamila, before we were recording that everywhere I turn, there seems to be a question or a, a reporter curious about this topic from all sorts of angles, whether it's like the cost of childcare is rising or more women are opting out or young millennial women feel like they can't have kids or they're freezing their eggs. And so there's a lot of um, like uh, sort of these like, what do you call it? Like um, tentacles to this, to this piece that really at the, at the core of it is about, I think, um, not planning things out. Like I did to an extent foresee that I would arrive in my 30s one day wanting a family and having a lot of headwinds facing me. I saw it because my older colleagues, female colleagues, experienced them. And I think I was just being really realistic about workplace culture and how much it was going to cost to raise kids. And of course, I had no idea, but here we are. Um, I would say, Lori, and I'd, I'd love to get your input on this, Jamila, because you are also a woman who's, you know, doing it all happen. Maybe not doing it all. Cause that's stupid. You have to, <laughs> you can have it all. <laughs> Choose, you right. Gotta, mm-hmm. You got to manage it. I think it's called managing it all. I think that's like the new thing I want to call it. Um, but I think the first thing, Lori, is just to not compromise and also to take a page out of the transcript from another episode of so many where I talked to recently a woman named um, Connie Wilshansky. She's a mother of three, entrepreneur, Orthodox Jewish as well. And so in her culture, it's very much um, not the woman's role, right, to be the breadwinner. And here she is. Her best advice, and I, I'm like, I can't get enough of this, is just take opting out of the workforce off the table. It is not a card on the table for you. 
Like you have to stick to your principles. That's it. I'm not opting out of my career. I want to have a family. and I want to have my career. Bye. Like that's just how you have to think about designing your life. And that's the framework. And so who you choose to partner up with, the kinds of jobs that you take on, the kind of career that you then um, follow and pursue, and the choices you make must fall within this framework. End of story, period. And I think like that just needs to be something that doesn't necessarily feel like it's been forced upon you or it's like this really, it's not this um, difficult box either. I feel like, you know, once you choose to not opt out because it's not right for you, I think it's a very liberating mantra. What do you think, Jamila? I agree. I think, I think at this point in your 20s, this is the perfect time to be selfish to be a go-getter, to really push hard for all the things that you want. So whether that you, is you want to travel more, you want to uh, spend money on the things that you just want. Because you know, once you get tethered down with like a husband and children, you know, you have to make some smarter decisions and you maybe you're not going to be able to spend the, all the money the way you want all the time on you. Um, if it's like more of a, a, a household that manages funds together. So I think it's really important to give yourself flexibility. Like the key word I feel like throughout all of this and finances in general is you want the options. You want to have flexibility. And I know when I was in my 20s, that was like this point where I was, you know, working my hardest in my career. I was climbing the corporate ladder. I was was continuing to make more and more money, getting myself out of debt. And so by the time I did start having kids at 31, I was in such a better position to where now I'm on my third kid at 35. And I had the option to now step away from my corporate job. And it doesn't mean that like I'm opting out of necessarily like the workforce overall. Like, yes, I'm stepping away from this corporate corporate job, but I'm still working. I'm still still bringing my talents into the world and I'm still active. And by the way, if you choose not to want to do that after you have kids and you want to take a couple months off or whatever it is, that's your right too. But what you want to be able to do is have the options to do that. And so not having debt, being a bit more selfish. So when you do start making these decisions based more on your family, you don't feel like you've been robbed of like, you know, having the life you wanted is very important. And so I say continue being smart, paying off, keeping staying out of debt, investing from now. Um, like you said, Farnoosh, like picking a partner that's on the same page with you that that is going to support you no matter what decision you make is going to be very, very important. Um, so whether you're going to choose to like go back to work in a month after giving birth or whether you say to yourself, you know what, I want some more time off. You want a partner that's going to be able to help support the household and you in that decision. Yes. Uh, you know, putting yourself first right now in your 20s and until however long it takes for you to, before you quote unquote settle down, is of the utmost. And, you know, as moms, I think Jamila will be the first to say, like, we put ourselves last because who's more important than our children? Nobody. And, um, but we have to remind ourselves that we have to take care of ourselves equally and as almost as much because, or as much, if not more, because we are the guardians of, of this family. And in our case is also breadwinners. I think that also you want to think about realistically, you know, the costs of having a family. And so to Jamila's point, saving, investing, being really strategic about your financial life now will pay off in dividends. And I will be honest, when I was in my 20s foreseeing the future, I thought I'd be the kind of mom who wanted to take time off, right? I thought 
I think it's kind of cool to be able to like stay home for a little bit and then go back into the workforce. I thought I knew myself. I didn't. I was still, <laughs> I was still learning a lot about myself. But even with that, I said, I'm going to really try to build a financial life for myself and a foundation for myself. And so when I arrive at that place of finally become a, becoming a mom, I want to be able to give myself the option of choosing for the first time all over again, whatever then. And now in the moment, because you don't know how you're going to feel fast forward 10 years, fast forward after you have a kid. But when you have money, you have choices, you have freedom, you have options, and that's it. And so work hard, just head down, work, ask for the promotion, ask for the raise, negotiate. These are all the best moves you can make, not knowing what's on the other side. But I will say, even if you arrive in your 30s and you decide, I don't want kids. Maybe you go on the other side of the equation. Like, I don't even want to get married. Good news. You've got a load of money in the bank. You can do whatever you want. So it's never a bad move to just make yourself the number one priority, care a lot about your financial life in your twenties and forever, but especially in your twenties. It's why it's so important to get this education to people as soon as possible. But I hope that was even more inspiring for you, Lori. Obviously I'm obsessed with this topic. I think it might be another book in my future. I feel like this is just, we cannot help women more in, in, I feel like in this life stage and as they're preparing for this life stage, because if what we're seeing is that more women are, who are college educated, career minded, career driven, having their first kid and feeling like they have their hands tied behind their backs for a lot of reasons, financially, flexibility wise, and they opt out of the workforce. And I think we're losing a lot of great talent in the workforce. We need women working, being leaders in the workplace and in other places. And I just feel like as a society, it's a lose-lose. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a win for everybody if we can keep women supported in as family leaders, as workplace leaders. So yeah, what were you going to say? And can I add that it's really important, just like along, as I said, you know, get picking the partner is going to be especially important uh, and building that support system. Because I find that a lot of women opt out or they can't manage it all because they are forced to manage it all. And so something has to give. But if you have family members, friends, you know, supportive husband or wife or, you know, whatever it is that's around you, that's going to support you into making this like transition into motherhood and, you know, this new life, it, that's going to be extremely important because I can tell you this now, if it was just myself and I didn't have the money, you know, I would, and I didn't have the family and friends and the supportive husband, it would not be possible for me to continue to to do the work that I do at the intensity that I do it and feel like I'm raising my kids the way I want to. So that support right. system is important. Amen. All right, Lori, now go out there and get it. Maddie has a question. She wants to look into totally different topic here. Let's cool off. I'm looking to switch credit cards and I'm not sure what I should do with the old account. Um, she says, I don't want to use, um, I don't want the unused account to affect my credit score. She says, does it make sense to close the old one outright? Any tips would be helpful. Well, I think that the credit rule is that well, okay, so here's how I would look at it. Your credit score, which is important because if you want to take out a loan one day or another credit card, it's important. You want to keep that score in the 700s out of 850 or higher. And I know for a fact that when you close accounts, that does have the potential 
to negatively impact your credit score. Why? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, your credit score is made up of a lot of, a lot of factors. One of the factors is the uh, amount of credit that you have in, in your profile. So the totality of credit. So that's a combination of all the credit limits on all your credit cards and so on and so forth. And so by closing account, you're basically taking out that credit limit from your profile, which can shrink that number uh, of that credit uh, sort of utiliza- utilization. And so that could hurt your score. And the other reason is because your credit history is also a variable in determining your credit score. The longer your history, the better. When you close an account, you're effectively closing the history of that account as well. And that can also be a negative toll. So the advice usually is, and Jamila, tell me if you've heard this too, if you're close, if you're done with a credit card, just keep it open, but don't use it. Like don't put it in your wallet, just keep it tucked away. And if you want to keep it active without, you know, running into more debt, maybe tie it to a recurring bill and pay it off automatically every month. So it's still actively being used. Right. You hit the nail on the head right right there because it's really important that if you are concerned about your credit score, as most of us should be, right, especially if we're going to be making some big purchases or we want that that backup for anything, you want to make sure that you're you're looking out for your credit score. So it doesn't really make sense to close it. Just don't use it. Um, so like you said, pay it off, keep it at home, cut it up if you intend never to use it again or tie it to something that you know you for sure will pay off every month. All right. Hope that helps. And then here we have another credit question, an audio question from Grace. She left a question on SpeakPipe, which is a little handy tool on my site. If you go to somoneypodcast.com and you click on Ask Farnoosh, she had the option to either leave a voicemail or type in your question. And Grace opted for the voicemail, which I love. So I'm going to play that. And then Jamila, you and I will tackle this. And this will be our last question. Here we go. Here's Grace. Hi, Farnoosh. Thank you so much for your show. It has inspired me to pay off $30,000 of debt so far. I'm just now starting to job hunt again, and I heard that some employers are checking your credit score. My score had been in the mid-700s, but due to a recent short sale of my home, it dropped down to the mid-500s. My concern is that this will affect me getting interviews and job offers. How should I handle this? Should I tell employers up front why my credit score is so low? Thanks for your help. All right, Grace, thank you so much. And congrats on paying off $30,000 in debt. Really proud of you. And I'm so glad that this podcast has been helpful. As we mentioned, Jamila also has a podcast called Journey to Launch, which didn't you just celebrate a milestone on your podcast? I did. So I recently crossed the one year mark. And actually, just you were talking about FinCon. I got nominated as podcast of the year as a a finalist. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. Good luck. Wait, so we are recording this before FinCon, but it's airing after FinCon. <laughs> so fingers crossed. I will. Fingers crossed. Well, yeah, I'm still I'm 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 in the in the nomination phase, which is to me just excited to be yeah, recognized. Cool. Yeah, that's Congrats. cool. Congrats. All right, so uh, here's what I think, Grace. I think that you've been given some misinformation, but this is a very very common myth about credit. So in some cases, your credit does play a role in job hiring. But the difference here is that Grace has been told that her credit score will get checked. Grace, it's actually your credit report. And even then, the employer must 
get your permission to access your credit report. So to set the record straight, the way it works is some employers who are maybe sensitive to their employees' financial backgrounds, because maybe it's a company within an industry like banking or uh, jewelry, like so there's like high value goods lying around or there's money lying around. They want to make sure that their employees aren't in dire financial straits, which I know that's jumping to conclusions, but sometimes the conclusion is they might steal or they might not come to work one day because they're so financially stressed out. So they just, they use this as a, a little bit of a barometer. But when they do want to know about your credit history, they don't have access to your score. That is actually not lawful. What they can get with your permission after you sign a piece of paper is to get your credit report. Again, this is, this would come up, like you wouldn't be blindsided. You're not going to like show up to a job interview and they're like, so we checked your credit. Like that hopefully will never happen because that's illegal. And and so this this question that she has about whether she should like preemptively talk to employers about her, uh, in this case, it was a short sale of her home. I don't think so. I think that if you get approached um, and the employer says, We're, we'd like to look at your credit history or your credit report, you can say, sure. And then at that point, be like, so you may see that there is a record of a short sale on my credit report. I just want to let you know that that was... Um, you know, in the past and we're working to correct that. And, you know, our finances are in fine shape, but uh, I wanted to just give you a heads up because you might see that as a red flag, but in fact, like we're working on that and all is well. (laughs) Uh, And it should not hinder you from getting job interviews because again, they wouldn't know this about you um, presumably until they meet you and they have you sign something ahead of looking into your credit history. Has this ever happened to you, Jamila? I know you work in finance. Did your your company or any companies you've worked for ever had a history of wanting to know about employee credit? Right. Well, so no, when I started working, it was like fresh out of college in my company. And I do not remember them asking me this, but I did just a little digging. And like you said, Farnoosh, they do need to get your permission to do that. And if they intend on rejecting you because of your credit score or your credit report per se, They need to let you know. So they can't just they can't like say no without telling you that's the reason they said no. And then they have to like also provide you with a report of that saying stating that that's the reason they did not hire you for that. Um, So I think that's pretty important to know. Yeah. Um, Good point. All right. So, Grace, I hope this was encouraging. Just, you know, uh, business as usual. Just go ahead and be your great self and apply for jobs. And if it comes up, have an answer in your back pocket just to say, like, yes, you can look at my credit history. Uh, P.S. You may notice this, uh, you know, the short sale, but all is well. And if you have any questions, totally let me know. I think they would really appreciate you just like being more proactive about it at that point. No need to get nervous and tell them everything. (laughs) TMI, I think. any time before uh, an inquiry about your credit. So thanks for your question, though, and good luck. And keep us posted how, about how everything goes on the job front. Maddie, good luck to you. Lori, really wishing you best of luck. And let me know if we can help you further with your questions about, you know, parenthood and careerhood and everything in between. Rebecca, wishing you the best in your retirement. And Steve, uh, sounds like you might want to start paying in stuff. Sounds like you might want to start that. Sounds like you might want to start that index fund. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Jamila, thank you so much. Thanks so much, Farnoosh. This was great. And tell us where we can find you. 
You can find me at journeytolaunch.com. You can also check out my podcast. If you're listening to this, you can find the podcast Journey to Launch wherever you are listening. And then I'm on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Journey to Launch. We will meet you there. Thank you so much. And everybody, hope your weekend is so money. 